0: Hello and welcome to episode 12 of The Run In. This week, we're going to be discussing the rest of the fallout from the Chinese World Cup. We're going to delve into the thoughts and feelings of everyone from the competition and what's being said in the aftermath of the races. We're also going to discuss the Park World Tour races from uh, Chongqing and Beijing, which have been going on since the climax of the World Cup over the last two weeks. And we're also going to have a look at some other controversy in, in the sport around the Norwegian Championships and the barring of foreign runners, as well as looking ahead to next season's UK Domestic League as well. Um, and we're joined by special guest Duncan Whistle.: Hello. Hello, Duncan. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. So Duncan has just got back from a whirlwind trip at Park World Tour in China. So we're going to get all his um, thoughts and round up from the racing over there and what happened in the two weeks following the World Cup in a little while. But firstly, Catherine, we're going to go back a couple of weeks and discuss the events of the China World Cup again, because a lot's happened in the aftermath of the racing and of the last couple of weeks. So... If you want to give a little roundup about what's happened over the last kind of two weeks or so for people who've not been following it, can you can you sum it up in kind of 30 seconds for us? Quick blow by blow.
1: Well, I suggest if you want to hit, uh, hit the full story, listen to the previous um, podcast episode, but basically uh, issues with map clarity in the middle distance and then much better than expected results from Chinese athletes in the sprint distance. And there's been a lot of chat of... Can we find out if they've cheated or not? We don't know. And lots of kind of statistical analysis been going around, lots of thoughts from the athletes. I think the best way to sum up is we still don't know if they've cheated or if they've not cheated. And I don't think we ever are going to know. But these discussions have prompted a lot of people to to, ch- to chat on um, forums or on you know social media about these kind of themes within within orienteering about fairness about fair play and I think it's provided a lot of conversation that we we're basically we're going to join in with the conversation now one really interesting point that I saw made which was by the French runner Luca Basset he was saying we do a sport that requires obeying the rules but these rules are really easy to break you can't monitor whether people are going in the embargo or not and and actually therefore because the rules are so easy to break this sport isn't compatible with something with high stakes money fame or political influence as he says therefore he's arguing it's not compatible with things like the olympics um because you know it could only be compatible where where money isn't involved and where people and where people aren't motivated to cheat, you know, they're doing it for the love of the sport, not for any other reason. What did you think of that, Will?
0: So, I mean, it's an incredibly difficult one. And I, th- I think we need to start by saying that we we can never prove that anyone has cheated over the, over the World Cup weekend. Okay, mm. Whether rightly or wrongly about people crossing olive green or the accusations leveled towards the chinese team of them going onto the area or seeing the maps beforehand we can't we can never prove this and, and whether they did or not is probably a 50-50 call and it's going to be down to personal opinion whether you think they did or didn't mm-hmm.
1: lucas yeah, there's, point there's, there's good arguments both both ways to yeah, be honest
0: yeah definitely and unless we have concrete proof which unlike what happened at the world military games we don't have then it's all just conjecture and mm-hmm essentially we're going down the wicket of do you think it happened or not Luca's point around orienteering requires obeying the rules and that they're extremely easy to violate is a fantastic one because essentially we govern ourselves in the sport on a fair play culture, we believe in Mm -hmm. fair play and we think that everyone is adhering to the same rules but every country will have a different sense of what fair play is so if you take what level do you class cheating to be? Is it at the point of breaking the embargo? Yes, that is in the rules as as cheating. Is it the level of, you know, going on a municipality's website beforehand and checking road closures to see where they've blocked <laughs> off for a sprint race?
1: Yep.
0: Possibly. The, the, you're, you know, you're delving into grey areas and there's a lot of grey areas with orienteering that I think people don't want to discuss or talk about and it's classed as, you know, good geeking before the event. But really... Mm-hmm it's very easy to break those rules and step over the line you know living on an area before it's embargoed when you know that it's one of l- the places that's likely to be chosen that's a very fine line and we rely on everyone agreeing to these rules in order to feel like we have a sense of fair play when actually they're incredibly easy to violate the amount of times mm. that i imagine people have and it's happened to me when i've gone into a quarantine early actually i've had my phone in my pocket I've forgotten it's there. I've been in quarantine early, so it's not closed. You know, you can still have things on you. I sat, you know, went to the toilet, went, oh, bloody hell, I've got a phone in my pocket here. That is, you know, in, in 20 minutes' time, that is going to be not allowed and I'll be thrown out, of, thrown out of, the you know, essentially probably thrown out of the sport because if I get caught with a phone on me in quarantine, then mm-hmm. I should be kicked out. Um, but the amount of times that it's possible to do that is it's infinitesimal when you think no one's actually checking your bags when you go into quarantine anyone could have anything on them when they go into Mm -hmm. quarantine you're just relying on people not doing that and you're trusting them not to but there's nothing to say they're not going to and where luca comes back to that point so it's a bit rambling here but where orienteering is not compatible with you know money fame or political influence and he's exactly right if people go into a quarantine and think right well I'm being paid X amount of money by my national federation here to compete and get a medal. Mm. I'm being, and and if I don't, then I will lose my job and have to not do the sport anymore. Then you have external pressure, which is going to force people into cheating. And it's a very, and and it's happened in most other sports with doping of going, right, well you have to dope in order to keep your job, keep your livelihood mm-hmm. and not go back to, um, you know, either poverty or, or, you know, working in a factory or something like that. So,
2: mm.
0: and I I agree with it. it's The high stakes force people into a questionable scenario where they might have to cheat. And at Orientium, we rely on a very flimsy rule to for that not happening. And quite frankly, we don't know if it's been broken last weekend or 10 times over the last year or 100 yeah. times in the last two years. No, we just don't yeah. know.
1: Yeah, I mean it's kind of shook up. I think quite a lot of the athletes, and they're all kind of a bit shocked because I talk to some of the British team when I'm out commentating, and and some of them ask me, "Have you pre-run?" And I say yes because I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. And then the conversation ends there. They don't want mm. to know anything about the course or about you know anything. There's nothing I can say anymore after that, which is exactly as it should be but but you know i don't want to tell them anything and they don't want to know and that that is fantastic and you know there is some trust a lot of trust in the sport and then when that trust is broken everyone's kind of quite shocked i think actually that that this trust they had in their fellow competitors has now been broken and i think andreas kibbutz makes a really good point when he says I hope the runners and organisers will find a way to establish rules that prevent runners from pointing fingers at each other because that is what has been going on yeah. in, um, in China is athletes pointing fingers at other athletes because maybe it's because the rules are unclear or not strict enough or my thoughts are you're never going to be able to stop people cheating because you can't enforce an embargo in that in that same way when people no. get caught out from having been in an embargo it's because they've been unlucky enough to be on there at the same time as someone has seen them or they've stupidly post, posted a picture on social media that they shouldn't have done yeah. yeah you know and that that has happened before in i'm pretty sure you know some people broke an embargo at one of the world mountain bico champs yeah races. it's happened and, and you know, a couple of
0: times at jaywalk over the last over the last kind of six years or so the uh, I believe the Ukrainians and the Russians have both been pulled from the sprint races because they've been on the embargo mm. beforehand and I mean it's just and that's the thing it, it gets very toxic and very nasty when you start mm. just accusing everyone you see of of cheating just because you don't believe their result and
2: mm.
0: I, mm. and the annoying thing here is that yes there is there is a probability that the Chinese team cheated right fine we all accept that but, and this is not to single him out at all because he had an absolutely fantastic run, but Maxim Retourier, a guy mm. who isn't really known on the World Cup circuit yet. Like, people know him, he's a nice guy, but he's never had that good a result before, You know, second at mm-hmm. a World Cup sprint. And people aren't saying that he cheated you know, yeah. because he has had an absolute standout result. But yeah. know, probably a, a similar level of improvement from the Chinese runner in third place in the men's sprint who went from 53rd to third, I think from Switzerland World Cup to the Chinese World Cup. Uh, Maxime probably did a similar level of improvement, but no one's talking about how he might have cheated. So th- th- we have to be very careful in, in the accusations we're throwing out. And just because we think that one country might have a culture of it doesn't mean yeah. that those athletes did it. And it's a very slippery slope that people are getting into. And, yeah, it goes you know, down, a, down a dark road. And like you say, we want to be, like, like Andreas says, we want to be able to not point fingers at each other we want to be able to trust each other so that when you cross a line and you see someone's name up there you go wow that's a great performance that's what we want to see we want to see good yeah. performances and i think a lot of people were quite hyped up in the aftermath of it i know i certainly was from a bad run but then you mm. look at you look at it afterwards you analyze it and go actually right fair enough i lost time there i lost time there I lost time there that time's achievable yeah so so i think people will look at it differently in retrospect but Yeah, I think it's still quite raw as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of statistical analysis, GPS analysis as as much as it's possible to do with the kind of GPS tracking that they've got and trying to have a look at where the chinese athletes were performing well was it just the fact that they were so hyped for this race on home soil they you know really blasted it out of the start which is why they were maybe so fast at the beginning and actually didn't pace themselves very well around the whole yep. the whole course was it but the chinese men seemed to win most of their time on the intense map breeding legs um they didn't all take the same route choices Comments from the senior event advisor say it's plausible that, that people could have trained on the area before, but unlikely that the map leaked. And they changed the second half completely in the last few weeks. That's just the comment of the senior event advisor. Um, but maybe they had an access to an early version of the course. I mean, it's all kind of going around these these uh, discussions and and people. But I mean. We, we can talk we can also talk a lot about home advantage here and yeah. therefore you go does it make it a fair competition therefore having the world cup in switzerland every year how it's, as it's now going to be every year because switzerland are very reliable world cup organizers does that unfairly advantage the swiss runners yeah
0: and uh, i i mean i personally would probably say yes just like whenever there's a world cup in scandinavia it it, yeah it gives an advantage to the scandinavians and you can see when there's a forest world cup in switzerland how different the placings were for for scandinavian based runners compared to those from outside scandinavia so it's a lot more equal at the swiss middle distance in september than the middle distance in finland in june so yeah you've got those home advantages as well and uh, they're always going to exist. Like, wherever you have mm. a World Cup, people will do training there, and especially the, the people who are representing the home nation will always, always try and peek at that race and have a good result because it's not often you get a World Cup final, unless you're Switzerland mm. and have it every year. <laughs> it's not mm. often you get a World Cup race in your, in your home country. Like We haven't had one other than walk in Britain since 2005. So Yeah,
1: exactly.
0: You know, obviously, if there was one here next year, we'd all be wanting to perform well there and do as well as we could it almost seems like there's there's one rule for one and another for everyone else because there's stuff over the last few years of of slightly suspect results that people have now seemed to forget about you know there was people who were saying that morten bostrom um he put out a tweet before the walk sprint final in 2013 saying it's something like i'm i'm remembering it loosely here but um it's funny how everyone thinks that it's going to be some of the sprint in the forest tomorrow and then quickly, re- then then deleted it. Not long after, and then none of the sprint was in the forest, which was half of the embargoed map. So, and people were saying, "Oh, maybe he he saw it beforehand, or um, you know, got prior knowledge of the course, or something like that." And then instantly, they've taken one tweet and blown it way out of proportion and assumed, like, "Oh, because because of that, and because then he won, he must have had prior knowledge of the course, and that I didn't know about." It's like, mm-hmm. actually, guys, if you just take a step back, is that is that plausible? Really, Are the organizers going to let one guy? know the result of the sprint or has he trained for years to peak at home walk in his specialized discipline
1: mm. and then
0: he's going to won it because he's a very good runner and he is a dedicated athlete you know it's a very fine line and then you, you get with a, i'm just going to go off on the tangent and the crossing the outer bounds point from the middle mm. distance we at the walk long test race in july there was a section of outer bounds early on in the men's course and a lot of GPS traces went through it. And there was talk, oh, do we disqualify them, do we not? And no one got disqualified because it was deemed odd they didn't gain an advantage. Where, what is the difference between a WOK test race and a World Cup at the end of the year where people are so angry about the World Cup but not about the WOK test race, which might have cost people a spot at the World Championships? It, I, yeah. I, I doubt it did, but it's, there's a plausible likelihood that it could have, maybe, um, if someone got disqualified and they've someone else finished the place higher. So... Well, there there seems to be a lot of, you know, yeah. There's one rule for one one race, and then there's another rule for another race. And if we want an equal sport, where like Andreas says, no one points a finger, then we need parity over every single event, every single race. You know, and there's one rule. And if you cross an out of bounds, you're disqualified. If you break any embargoes or do any map reading, whatever, you're disqualified
1: but where do you join the where do you, do you therefore draw the line of what is every race for example do you for my southern navigators club handicap you know someone went out of bounds there what goes on there my club captain was in favor of there being an embargo before this Club handicap, you know what I consider to be quite a fun social event. It's my basically my home terrain that I run on pretty much every week. That I thought it, that was unreasonable to embargo that area, you know, just to to make make this a fair fair event when there was nothing at stake, or I I consider nothing at stake. Yeah, if you're saying this has to happen at every event, does it has have, have to happen for the world championships to a uh, schools league on a Saturday or morning or something
0: that is that is a very very fair point actually and I'll probably I'll taper back what I said and let's go for every international event because like you say it will just rob all the enjoyment from a local a local league race or something like that if you're telling kids early on like oh cross you you put a foot into out of bounds there boom you're out they're not going to stay in the sport are they and it's not going to be any fun so any international runner should know the rules and should Accept mm. the consequences for what happens, but yeah, like you, yeah. like you say, for for anything lower than that, then I think you need to and a, and a national championships, then I think you need to take a step back and just say, if you cross it, and it's an education point, and you move on.
1: Yeah. So, but I yeah I agree that where where we do have embargoes at the moment for things like area championships national championships jk that's fair enough anyway i want to move on and say that since we chatted about all the stuff in china there's been a statement from the iof saying no complaints or protests were made by other teams at the competition and therefore the results made official um, the IOF has, however, continued to investigate via follow-up interviews and they've said there was and is no verifiable proof nor material evidence of any wrongdoing. Again, I think that that is why no complaints or protests were made by the teams because they couldn't find any evidence immediately and, you know, within that protest window to make a protest, I'm not sure it's necessarily the team's duty or responsibility to do that um, but this has been referred to the ethics panel the iof's ethics panel so let's just say you won't this won't be the last you'll be hearing about um china and the the world cup controversies there because i think i think the some of the thoughts that have been shared by a lot of the athletes is that we just hope this has been a good discussion and a worthwhile discussion that we're having so that we can make improvements and we can um you know so this doesn't happen again so we have great understanding of fair play and its importance in the sport
0: Mm. and there was there was also a um a letter signed by a lot of the athletes at the world cup that went to the IOF um indicating the displeasure about the quality of the mapping for the middle distance and um I believe they've now taken that under advisement and share the share the athlete's disappointment and um have, have apologized for the problems with the world cup middle distance and uh are going to be discussing the contents and recommendations of that moving forward and um hopefully there'll be some positive stuff to come out of that so maybe in a couple of years we'll look back and this will be kind of a watershed moment and orienteering mm-hmm. will be in a much better place because of it because it's clearly highlighted problems you know that we've got across across the elite level of the sport and um and yeah, so hopefully hopefully there's some positive stuff because I'm a, I'm a bit tired of everyone being down on it because it was a great trip that we all had out yeah, there. Yeah. Let's not forget that. Yeah. Like it was six days in a fantastic country that is you know, the culture's amazing, the people are really friendly and very yeah. welcoming. The you know, the photo culture's a bit odd of endless photos <laughs> during your warm down when you're topless. You feel a bit self conscious about that. Maybe should put a, I guess I should put a top on when I warm down, but Yeah,
1: um, so <laughs> well. Yes,
0: yeah, so it's my fault. Um but yeah, it was a great trip and, and we all had a great time and, mm. and and it was a very relaxed setting to be in. We we're all in the same hotel, which you never normally get at these things. Mm-hmm. You're always, you know, cordoned off in your own team accommodation, you know, separate from everyone. So I think, it, yeah, we, we just need to kind of move on, take everything that's happened and, um, yeah, and I go forward positively and use it for a bit of good change.
1: Yes. Well, we're gonna move on from one controversy to another. I think. Let's now. do it. Um, you know what? Someone, someone, I think, said uh, some feedback on the podcast that they were liking the controversy. Well, you've got you've got your wish because we've got some more. Um, so uh, this is uh, some kind of news that's come out in the last week, which is the Norwegian Federation ruling on their their own national championships, saying that, uh, and this is uh, I've just. Translated it through Google Translate, so disclaimer there. Norwegian teams and participants representing Norwegian clubs can participate in the national championships. Foreign nationals must, in order to participate, Have been resident in Norway from the 1st of January and have been a member of the club for at least one month. In the senior classes, medals, diplomas, and royal trophies will only be awarded to Norwegian nationals. In the relay, the national relay for seniors, a majority of the team's athletes, so two out of three, must be Norwegian citizens in order for the team to win medals and diplomas. And needless to say, it's caused a little bit of controversy, or rather a lot of controversy. Um, from, from people who this might affect?
0: Yeah, so personally, I really don't like this. I feel like it. there's a lot of foreign orienteers who give a lot to the Norwegian orienteering scene and who've lived there for a long time who aren't necessarily Norwegian citizens. Uh, a lot of very good orienteers as well. Mm. And this is automatically making clubs make very difficult decisions, which, very awkward decisions, which could cause a lot of internal angst between people and I'm speaking from my yeah. own view here, this could be completely wrong, but this is what I'm going with, just simply based on someone's nationality, whereas they've lived in that country, contributed to that country's you know, economy, taxes, society, the, the club's environment with training, and putting on races, all of that kind of stuff, yet they're not allowed to compete, particularly in a relay team, with other members of their club who they train with day in, day out, at, and race with at normal competitions other than, other than Norwegian nationals. So... I think it's just oh, it's just cutting off your nose to spite your face. I don't understand why foreign nationals shouldn't be allowed to compete. if they. I mean, a lot of them might feel as if they are Norwegian now. They've lived there for so long. and So why mm. shouldn't they be allowed to, to compete in it? Emma Wingstead, for instance, is a Swedish national but lives in Halden and has for years. But mm. he now, unless he has Norwegian citizenship, won't be allowed to win a Norwegian championship medal. And that just yeah. seems wrong to me.
1: Well, for me, I think the biggest concern that i personally have is is foreign nationals must have been resident from the 1st of january of that you know of that year the the, the championships and have been a member of the club for at least one month so that's saying that people for example you know for example people who live in the uk and and have a and are also part of a norwegian club now can't go and compete for their for their club in the norwegian yeah. championships that is a thing so you know it won't affect people like say ralph who lives in um oslo you know people who who do who do live there and a part of clubs i mean they won't be able to win medals but at least they will be able to participate it's for me it's the not even being able to participate in it i mean i think other i mean think other there are varying policies around the world about who you award the medals to and if you think about say like the southern championships you have to be from one of the southern regions to be awarded a medal for the southern championships and um you know various other countries have their own policies i think a lot of people's concerns are therefore will non-norwegian runners choose another club in a nation other than norway as opposed to a norwegian club because they won't be able to participate in say the relays or, or something else will they you know when, when therefore will that weaken the norwegian clubs internationally when it comes to tiamila Yukala? because at the moment you know there's no restrictions on who they can have they just need to be a member of the club they don't you know there, there aren't any Na- national restrictions in terms of team or yukula but we've got some juniors now and they're thinking oh you know i want to join a want to join a foreign club will this put them off to joining a norwegian club mm. and therefore you know if you and, if, and also if you're missing some of the top ones does that mean you're you haven't got a, you know a big group of elite runners running together will they stop, therefore, other foreign club runners motivating the Norwegians in that club to to run better so yeah it was I'm a bit confused Mm. to be honest
0: yeah and they're not they're kind of not the first country to do it Sweden did something I guess not not similar not so explicitly but you um a couple of years ago I think they said that you had if you had competed in another nation's national championships already in that year then you weren't eligible to compete in the Swedish championships and win that um mm. later on in the year which is I guess it's it's a difference between like you say there's a difference between competing and winning medals mm. but mm. it's it's a very so I think I'll use the example of Emil again I remember him putting a tweet out at the time saying well I'm I live in Norway I I've lived here for so many years I've I am Swedish but I will race in the Norwegian championships because my club won they kind of they pay me to do that or mm. they will pay for my entries so I will mm. go and do it and represent them because I they give so much to me therefore I will represent them at the national championships so but then I can't go and do the uh the events that I've grown up doing and the the stuff that I strive to win as a junior which has so much importance to people because when you're growing up what do you want to be you want to win a national title you want to be the british champion you want to be the swedish champion you know yes people think of world championships as well but you always want to win your national championships that doesn't go away so it just yeah, it just doesn't they sit right and and like you say, people hopefully it doesn't discourage people, but yeah. I, I yeah, I just I just really don't like it and maybe maybe there's a different feeling in Norway, but from what I've seen, then most people don't seem to like the decision. So I do wonder how they came to it as well. You know, what mm. section of the Norwegian Federation made this choice and, and why did they make it? They might have good reasons for making it, but I can't really see any, personally. Other than the promotion of Norwegian People, if say a club is fully um, using foreign runners in the first relay team to win the Norwegian relay championships, maybe they want to make sure Norwegian runners are getting a chance to be in that team uh, for representation but purposes. Be, I mean, but other than that, you know,
1: to be honest, it's in Norway. Norwegian runners generally do better than non-Norwegian runners in Norway, just well, because yeah. the terrain <laughs> so special. Like, so I feel like it's not even to. Really, that much to do with that, and and the reason why I'm not kicking up a fuss about medals and diplomas and stuff is because normally they're run by Norwegians anyway. Because the Norwegians true. are actually really good. If Flo Lovlinder there's is on a start line, he's generally favourite to win. So yeah. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter what start line it is, as long as it's in a forest. You know, he's always he's always one of the favourites. So yep. like, I for me, it doesn't really make that much sense but anyway we'll see if yeah, any I, more comes of that
0: yeah we'll, we'll keep an eye on it but maybe they'll reverse their decision it's, yeah, it's we'll a, sh- it's a shame anyone.
1: um okay i want to move on because one of the other news that's come out in the last week or so is that there's going to be gps tracking for elites at major events in the uk duncan this is something you've been uh, working on for a while uh why why basically why has this been important to you
2: So, yeah, over the summer, I've been working behind the scenes to try and bring GPS tracking to the JK and the British, and thanks to the Orienteering Foundation and Scottish Orienteering Association, that will be going ahead. It's trying to make Orienteering more exciting for for spectators in the arena, for people who can't make it, and also, after the races, provide more content for use on on the red line, the run-in, on Instagram by various people, get into Compass Sport onto the BOF website. Just increase the amount of coverage that we can produce after the races to inspire more people and keep people more engaged.
1: Alice put a really good comment on Twitter saying, It's so important to normalise the perceived pressure and stress response to GPS tracking well before international competition comes around. Was that part of your thinking as well?
2: Yeah, definitely. The Elite League, sort of, one of the aims is to provide a like domestic platform for people to go on to international success. So yeah, getting juniors and new young seniors used to GPS tracking before they get to Jaywalk, before they get to the first World Cup, that just eases the pressure when they get there. And it's a, this is a stepping stone along the way. Mm. I think that's, that's a really key point because one of the first times I used
0: GPS was at the Jaywalk long race, the first race of the week at Jaywalk. It's like, Oh God, what's this thing on my back? <laughs> I having to put this GPS harness on, you know, all the extra, the feeling of tightness. Oh, it's, it's hotter because I've got this extra, you know, subconsciously I'm going, oh, they've got this extra layer on there, so it's going to be hotter. All of these tiny little things which become insignificant when you get used to them, you're thinking about at one of the highest pressure situations of your junior career. So if you can instill that kind of normality of it, like they do in so many other countries, then we've already started improving our junior, uh, our junior athletes. Not that they need much, but the looks of it, the jaywalk results, they're blowing us out of the water already. So maybe they're fine. <laughs> so what was the the
2: process that you went through to, to kind of get this off the ground? So you've obviously been running the Elite League for a couple of years now. So I think at the Watt Test races in Norway, I got trapped myself and all the other runners did there. And it was quite exciting and people could chat after the race about and analyse their results. And then I think maybe even while I was there, I emailed Gigi to get some recommendations as to companies to contact. And then over the summer, I got in touch with a few various GPS providers, generally based in Scandinavia or Eastern Europe, just to understand the processes and the technology and the costs. So I spoke to Ted Finch from Scott Joss and Scottish Touring Association, who sort of pioneered GPS tracking in Scotland at the six days and various other races. So it turns out that the Scottish Orienteering Association have a bank of GPSs. And so for 2020, we're going to use their kit, use their experience to guide us to deliver GPS tracking in these races.
0: And then just in terms of the, the racing for next year then, so is your plan, I know the, the calendar's not been released yet for the Elite League, that'll be coming and um, kind of signed So Hang on the...
1: first, can I interrupt? What actually is the Elite O League for people who don't know?
2: Oh yeah, good, good question. The Elite League, like the premier orienteering series for elites in the domestic season running from March to May each year. So over two months, it's like a focused series of races, the most important races in the best terrain. And we've had five weekends per year with two or three races on each one. It's a mix of sprint, middle and long to give people the experience they need across all the disciplines and athletes accumulate points through each round, they get totted up at the end, they can drop their worst ones, and at the end of May we'll publish results and crown a, crown a winner. And, and it's not just elites, is it, either? There are junior classes as well. Yeah, that's right. It's for juniors and seniors, so there's MW 18, 20s, an important under-23 class to keep the young seniors motivated, and, yet yeah, the overall senior men and women titles. So there's something that... Um... I guess those those who are going for jaywalk selection next year and or walk selection later in the year, they can focus their spring seasons around. Yeah, totally. And you can, if it's in the league, you can guarantee there's going to be good competition there, that we're the people there. Um, so it's fun as well as competitive. And yeah, it's just trying to build up. It's not all about getting to jaywalk. There's these other races you can focus on. And if you're a young senior, you might take a few years to get into a World Cup team. But something like this can sort of be that building block in the first few years as a senior. Uh, Yeah, I definitely agree with that, especially the under-23 category, because there's that kind
0: of dead zone when you're a first-year senior or second-year senior where you're not really sure what you're aiming for, if there's no world universities or anything like that to go for. GPS is the first change you're making next year,
2: big introduction. Any plans after that of what, you, what you're going to do so yeah I think a bit more bit more filming work is is in planning the future this year 2019 we released a few videos after some of the lower key races just filming a GoPro we up the Instagram game this year next year Instagram stories GPS a few more videos try and get some live coverage from the uh, arenas as well all right okay live coverage so so Catherine Duncan might be tapping
0: you up for a bit of commentary Possibly, then. Is that, is I'm, that I'm saying? always up
1: for some commentary.
0: <laughs> oh, there we go. So it will be incredibly professional when we're, we're moving into 2021. Um, <laughs> any, any top tips you're going to give anyone for how
2: to win it next year, if they want to go and focus on winning the league next year? You need to do four out of five rounds to maximise your points. But yeah, you need to try hard because the gaps between the points are nearer the top of the table the bigger gaps between positions so getting a first is much more important than getting a sixth we have a cash prize fund which we've accumulated in previous years from donors so we distribute that each year and that'll be going forward we've had silver sponsor the league this year we're giving out bags to winners and yeah we're working on the sponsors for prizes for 2020 okay so and i guess thank you to the donors that have contributed over the last few years absolutely it's been it's been great to have the support and keep athletes motivated we'll stay on with you because you've just got back from china you were at park world tour do you want to do you want to tell us a little bit about your your time out there for the and what park world tour is so yeah park world tour ran for one weekend before the world cup and two weeks after the world cup and park world tour itself is a sort of a series of races across the world which has been going since 1996 i think the first race was and they've the organisation is all about bringing orienteering to new places, putting it in front of people, bringing it into cities, pioneering sprint racing. That's across Italy, across Scotland, across China. They've been into China for many years. In the past, I think the programme has been a bit larger in terms of number of countries in a single year. And in more recent years, it's just been China has been the uh, the key trip of the year. Yeah, this year is perfect because you combine World Cup and Park World Tour. So there was a good turnout. And yeah, I think a few more people put their hands up myself. There were another six Brits out there. Talk us through the uh, the races then. So um, finished
0: up World Cup on Wednesday. You then flew to Chongqing, which is in the centre of China. Chongqing. There we go. My ugh, gutter pronunciation. I apologise to anyone who's a native um, Mandarin speaker for that. Uh, uh, so you flew to Chongqing. And the first race was in the industrial museum there.
2: Yeah, so it's under, there's all sort of mechanical machinery around, underneath sort of big shed roofs. And it was sort of a race of two parts. It was quite a detailed map with sort of all these sort of uh, museum pieces that you're running around. And yeah, it starts, I think, the one to 3,000 map. And we were zigzagging all over it, trying to take routes, which went under buildings and around the edge and as was super technical. And then about halfway through you then went inside a building and then you were navigating on a one to one thousand map in the slight darkness round. Yeah. Round trains and round visitors who were visiting the exhibition. And but then, they didn't close it down? Nope. There were people wandering around. But it's all part <laughs> of sprint race. It's well, good for it. It. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, and then yeah the last few controls back outside again. Oh, right. So pretty intense, very short race. Was it like 10 minutes or so? Yeah, that was a 10 minute race for part one of that race. So the top six from the morning went into the big final and they then had a mass start head-to-head race with a bit of gaffling partway through to, uh, to determine the top six positions oh, and right. who got the top six prize money. Oh,
0: and there's prize money given to, to all the top six out there in every race?
2: Uh, it's actually the top ten in every race, so yeah. If you do well, you can pick up a pick up a decent decent kitty. Did you Did you get any? Are we going to be seeing a bit more, you know, fancier food in the house? I'm afraid not. If you share a house with Pete Hodgkinson or Johnny Crickmore or Charlotte Ward, you might. Okay, right. Well, I'm actually seeing Charlotte this weekend in Sheffield, so the uh, the beers are on her. She owed you. Okay, um,
0: and then you. Uh, so you did a little bit more kind of touristing around. Um, around the city after that and a, I think I saw on people's Instagrams a three-hour score race around the city you know, what,
2: what, what 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 was that we were helping out at this 6,000 person orienteering race that they were putting on the day after our sprint 6,000 yeah 6,000 city orienteering they called it so it was three three three-part world tourers with two Chinese people and made a little team of five and we had to, yeah, it was a score course across the city, getting trains and buses, which were very cramped, taxis and walking around, jogging around, trying to get as many controls as we could in four hours. And there were a few little challenges eat some spicy chili, get a photo next to a <laughs> statue as well. Um, so, yeah, no, it was a really fun day. And then you moved up to Beijing following that. And the first race there was around
0: the Expo Park, I believe.
2: Yeah, so that's a sort of ornamental park, rather hilly with some sort of meandering paths around it with white and green forest and bushes. So, yeah, that was a slightly long sprint, but, yeah, that was the first race there, a normal race, no weird scales. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there's a good result there for uh, Johnny Critmore. He was third in the men, which was very good, against a strong, strong field, because a lot of the runners who've done World Cup have stayed out there, so these are these are top guys um pete hodgkins is th- sixth and then in the women's uh charlotte ward was seventh so yeah a strong result from her and then you did a little bit of help in
0: in some schools i saw while you're out there and you know you're doing some good deeds and then making everyone in work je- who was in work jealous of running running on the great wall of china up and down the uh incredibly steep stairs there and once you'd finished you know having your fun and and not doing anything very very tough um you were back into the racing, so that was uh, the uh, the Beijing Rose Garden. Sound- I mean, it almost sounds like we're doing a travel expo for uh, for <laughs>
2: Beijing and trying to sell it. We should be sponsored by them. Um, so, what was the uh, the Rose Garden like? I would recommend Beijing. Uh, yeah, the Rose Garden was a flat park, which was nice. Um, there were some spiky roses if you uh, got too close, but yeah, it was um, there was some white forest and some yellow open and some sort of. Uh, little pagodas and fences to get around so yeah it but largely largely parking largely open and very fast you could often go straight um through the white woodland and just sort of meander a little bit to keep keep on course
0: you weren't crossing any olive green were you
2: uh no i checked my map and went round it okay good and Jonathan Crickmore
0: was third for the uh for the sorry, second in that one for the uh for the Brits and Charlotte Ward sixth, the best British lady there. Um so I think Johnny put on his tack point, kind of felt like he was mixing it with the big boys, but it seems like the uh the Brits are the uh the ones to beat now or, or getting close to them. So good results there in the week after World Cup. And then finally the Saturday before you all flew home was from the Langfang Parkwood Tour
2: Swedish Resort. So, yeah, this is a bit of an interesting place. It's a, a load of uh, Scandinavian wooden cabins. Um, and then, yeah, there's a lake and, a, and, and some parkland around it. That was another race of two parts. The first part being a score for about six minutes, followed by the rest of the sprint race. Um, so, yeah, you need to uh, get your score game on, find the right route. Um, I think Laura Robertson got the best route, the most sort of efficient route. Um, but, yeah, another good result for joining Crickmore, their and fourth. Um, Laura Robertson did well and Charlotte Ward just behind in fifth individual start and so you could depending on what route you took you would see other runners going through the score section um, but yeah you sort of probably left at similar intervals to when you started but yeah there's no like a normal score in Britain you might have a bit of the time pressure but here you know you have to get them all so it's all about route finding not about priority yeah, so quite a good little uh, training exercise that people could uh, pick up for junior training camps or
0: or the training camps over the the winter. Then would you re- recommend?
2: Yeah, I think it's a good mix. And if there like runners' choice events come up in the future, yeah, you got to pick pick what's right for you. So runners' choice
0: being the uh, at the start of the knockout sprint at the World Cup, you have to pick which of three options you think is the best route. Um, so sounds like a very successful week or so for the Brits out in China. We had Charlotte Ward in eighth, Laura Robertson in sixth and Mary Fleming in 12th on the women's course and Johnny Crickmore in fifth, Peter Hodgkinson in seventh, Chris Mivard 10th. And then Ben Mitchell and Duncan did not get into the top 15, I believe. So weren't given any placings, but they, they did well being out there and uh, it was good to be in the mix and yeah, be, be seeing a different part of the world and doing the racing. So, um i guess uh, what's uh, any other takeaways from china you know any other quirky things that you want to let people know about
2: yeah the food is pretty spicy in the interior in beijing it's a much more western cell chinese but yeah we're pretty good with a chopstick now any uh any of the tech that you used out there what, what about the punching system that is quite different to the uk so yeah we mentioned that me and ben didn't get any points we were not help but we missed on our first use of the learn joy punching system okay the truth is out now um yeah it's a bit like si touch free if the uh touch free zone was about a centimeter but yeah it's pretty similar to si um and once we got our head around it it was fine and yeah learn joint they sponsored and funded this whole trip so uh thanks to those guys so i mean you should have all been prepared for that
0: from the emit tags at jk sprint like there's no excuse for a brit miss punching in the sprint race now you know you've got to go back and check we can miss in many ways <laughs> well, that, well, that is true, <laughs> Catherine. Any, any burning questions that you've got for for Duncan before he he disappears?
1: Um, why did you decide to go in the first place? And and do, do and do what's your highlight of the trip?
2: So yeah, I got invited about a month beforehand. I was told if I booked some flights, once I got there, most things would be funded. And yeah, I enjoy, I've done a bit of sprint training at the uh, end of August, beginning of September. I was feeling pretty good, so I was game to uh, go out there. And then, yeah, I got my best result in the uh, Rose Garden. So, yeah, that was motivating and got some decent splits against some very good runners. And then, yeah, the Great Wall was definitely, definitely a good sort of non-orientering highlight. Because you've, you've actually been injured, people might not know, over the last couple of years quite a lot. So, you've, it's been
0: a long road back into fitness. Do you feel like you're, you're kind of getting back into it now and you're ready to hit the ground running, pardon the pun, no,
2: next season? Yeah, going to the test races, Euro meeting, and Power Tour this year. So yeah, it gives me motivation to keep pushing for those uh, good races next year.
1: Well, in terms of that, is there you know is there any like feedback that you've got from your races, particularly in China, that you are going to take into like your training over the winter? Anything you are either pleased with or you want to work on?
0: Other than not miss punching.
1: Well, other than that, yep.
2: So I couldn't resist. <laughs> um, I think it's yeah, keep training, try not to get injured. Normally, I start training like January or February each year. So if we can start before Christmas, that'll be good. Um, but yeah, like all these guys that like you're hanging out with, these top runners all week, and they're all normal people. They just train hard and race hard. So yeah, they're no different to anyone else, and anyone can do it. Do you feel like you got any insights from the people you are racing against that you're going to take away? I think it's you've got to push hard in the races all the time. Yeah, I think sometimes they are not quite not quite strong enough, I just need to attack it a bit more. For those. Runners that
0: are faster than you, you've just got to kind of be a bit mentally stronger and, and just nail it technically and, and believe that you're going to do it.
2: Yeah, I think in a sprint race, you've got to get hard. Like, you're not going to get that tired. And the harder you go, yeah, the better you're going to do.
1: And are you going to do anything, particularly in your training, like with having had a lot of injuries over the, like the past few years to try and minimise the chance of that happening again?
2: Um, trying to avoid the road, trying to do lots of cross country. Um, those are my the main aims. No, I guess thanks, Duncan, for coming on, and I'm sure that we'll get you on again for the when the
0: Elite O League has got its official, you know, race date set and and you're ready to launch. But um, thank you very much. Great. Cheers, guys.
1: So um, looking ahead to future, there's not it's a bit of the off season season at the moment. The British Schools Championships are going to be. Um, on at the weekend uh, in a Berkshire area called Black Park near Slough, we have had you know some orienteers join us from uh, orienteering at school. It's a lot of way that maybe new families start orienteering. So um, yeah, going to be a really exciting one for that. And you never know, some names there may end up being uh, those on the elite circuit in you know ten, fifteen years time, something like that. Will and I will be putting our heads together to find out uh, who else we're going to be interviewing over the next um, few episodes of the run-in. I've had a challenge from Rob Finch of Southampton Orienteering Club. He says, can we find someone to talk to who hasn't grown up with the sport of orienteering, has maybe come to the sport a little bit later and... And had some success with that, as as he himself is someone who uh, started the sport uh, at university. You know how is that experience different to, you know, a lot of the people we've talked to who've uh, who've grown up with the sport. So we will try and find someone there. And if you, any of you listening, have any suggestions about what you want to to hear people chat about, any any suggestions about who we could who we could talk to, what things interest you, then um, please let us know on our socials. We're at the Running Pod, or let uh, myself. Will know when you see us around. Your feedback is always welcome.
0: Yeah, and I'd like to give a couple of shout-outs for people who who've been um, very complimentary over the last couple of episodes we've been doing. So, um, Chris Jones, Nathan Lawson, uh, Matt Elkington, thanks very much for your kind messages, and Rachel Rothman as well. Training on the treadmill before the start of the annual chemical engineering conference, uh, listening to us <laughs> in the in the gym to get her started. Um, for the day. So, thanks, Rachel, for listening, and um, yeah, everyone else has been listening as well. You know, really does mean a lot that so many people engage and get involved and um and are out there consuming consuming the podcast. So, yeah,
1: very exciting. Well, um, that's the end of this episode. So, as usual, you can um follow us on uh Twitter and on Facebook. We are at the Running Pods. Do send us um any feedback and any um any questions you want answering. Um, but into them we will see you on the next episode.